This episode of NC Raw features an awesome conversation with an amazing dude, Nick Short, founder of Ridge Recovery Homes in Asheville, North Carolina, comes on to talk with us about his experience in recovery and also the process in opening and kind of the vision for Ridge Recovery Homes and what what that's been like for him both personally and professionally. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. The guy is a wealth of knowledge. He's super insightful. Uh, I totally learned a lot from talking to him. Had a great time. Look forward to kind of building a relationship and kind of uh, learning more from him. It was, a, it was a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We have another event taking place for NC Raw. Uh, the NC Rock Christmas Party is going down on Christmas Eve here at the Comfort Inn in Silva, North Carolina. That's where we record all of our podcasts. Comfort Inn is a phenomenal recovery ally. They provide the space for us to record each and every episode of NC Raw. And we're going to be hosting a Christmas party. And you're invited. We want anybody and everybody who tunes into the show, checks out our podcasts, former guests, cast members. If you're affiliated with NC Raw, you're invited. We're going to be playing some Christmas music and recording a podcast, eating some good food, um, and we would love to have you join us. That will be taking place Christmas Eve from 5 p.m. until we're done. There's no like set time, so... If you can make it, pop on in for a little bit, hang out, have a good time. We would love to have you. Last weekend, I kind of talked about it a little bit on this podcast, but last weekend we had our first kind of like so NC Raw and Red's Hope social event where we all went bowling and watched the MMA fights and shot some pool and just had a great time. Uh, and we want to do more of that. We want to do more social events where everyone is invited to come and kind of hang out and build some community and enjoy each other's company. So this, uh, this Christmas party is going to be uh, another, another version of that with just a little bit of, a little bit of podcasting happening. So uh, with all that being said, give it up for my man, my homie, Mr. Nick Short. Living the miracle, standing divisible, connected to God and my physical essence of my spiritual presence is visible. Totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal. Used to be a criminal, living so minimal. But things have changed in my life is going through different intervals. Finding that balance is significantly difficult. Timing is everything, so my timing is critical. Rhyming is literal, the unforgettable. It's why I stand before you impeccably so presentable. I give respect to you, know that I am respectable. I've always wanted acceptance, is that acceptable? I am the rival expected to be exceptional, and I'm a grown man, handle business like a professional. I am incredible, Leo conventional, and you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprofessional. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. 
Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go, Nick Short. We are live. (laughs) And I have have to uh, stand up for a second because you're sitting back a little bit and now you're off camera. So bear with me. Nick Short. Yeah. Tell me, uh, while I'm doing this, tell me what Ridge Recovery is. All right. Uh, Ridge Recovery is, it was my dream kind of. I I spent a long time working in in the substance abuse field with other people, or for other people, I should say. And I realized at one point that um, the only difference between me and them was that they had some courage to go out and do something on their own. It wasn't that they were more talented or had more money or a a better chance. It was just that they were courageous. Um, And I always wanted to start an aftercare program. So Ridge Recovery is just that. It's an aftercare uh, transitional living environment for guys in early recovery from addiction. Um, Super sportive, super involved, really small. Uh, I like to keep it really intimate. And we're just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Where? Lester. Lester. Yeah. Uh, I'm not familiar. It's like, you know where Patton is? Mm -hmm. It's like 10 minutes from Patton Road. Okay. The guys always get on me. They're like, man, we're out in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, dude, it is 10 (laughs) minutes. Literally 10 minutes. Because I'm from Charlotte originally. Okay. So it's like everywhere I go in Charlotte, it's a half hour. At least, you know, like especially if it's five o'clock traffic. So, um I just can't fathom that whole Asheville thing yet that people are like, if it's not, if it's outside five minutes, I'm not going. Get over it, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I live outside the city now. <clears throat> so it takes me like 35 minutes to get to work and people are like astounded. That's outrageous. Yeah. You know. How did you end up in Asheville? I, uh, let's see. <laughs> I, I've ended up here several times. So the first time I actually was working for my dad. At one point, he had waited till I got two years clean and offered me this job so that he could subsequently fire me for being miserable at said job. And uh, he fired me. And I realized like at that point, you know, it was like cordial. He was like, I just can't watch you be miserable. It's not that you're doing a bad job. But I like looked at my life and was like, what can I actually what am I eligible to do? Like I have a background that's not so pretty, not a good career history, you know. And uh, I found this treatment center called Four Circles, and it was a wilderness treatment center. And I came up here originally because I was doing eight-day shifts at a wilderness therapy treatment center, taking guys out back um, backpacking. And they would go out for eight days at a time, and then I'd have six days off. And for a while, I was commuting, and then I ended up moving up here for a while. And then, uh, you know, like I ended up back in Charlotte for a little bit, and I've been back in Asheville full-time for about two or three. I think three years. We're gonna go with three. All right. Your your wife who is watching will correct you if I'm sure you're my wrong. phone's already buzzing. Is it? <laughs> it's probably everybody sharing it up, sharing it up. Um, <laughs> how long has Ridge Recovery Homes been operating in the area? And then, like, I'm I'm really curious as to like what that process was like for you. Yeah. Kind of like seeing this vision come to life because right. like you kind of hit on something with like. Um, so many people have these ideas and so many people have these kind of visions and plans and it only goes so far, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
you know, a lot of like underlying fear and fear of failure and things like that oh, yeah. will prevent people from doing exactly what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did that, how did that happen? We started <clears throat> a year ago in October and uh, we were in West Asheville at the time because this is our second location we're at. We were in West Asheville and we couldn't get the proper permit. We were a lot more inexpensive at the time and didn't know exactly what we were doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I had worked in all areas of recovery. I'd worked in halfway houses all the way to counseling and residentials. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I was like still had a day job actually. And I had an overnight manager and I'd come over after work and do one-on-one check-ins with guys. Okay. So it was, you asked what it was like, and it was like a pain in the ass, dude. Like, I can't even fathom doing it again. (laughs) I mean, I can, and I probably would, but it was, uh, and is still to this day, like, immensely stressful in some ways. Um, It's like one thing when you clock in at a nine to five, and you're like responsible for helping a person or holding a space for a person, you know? Um, But you get to go home at the end of the day, and when you own said business, you know, like you're holding, you're making sure that everyone that works for you is holding space for an individual in the appropriate way. And if they're not, it's almost like in an indirect way, it comes back on you a little Mm -hmm. bit. So I've struggled a lot with like being in recovery myself. I've struggled a lot with the, uh, taking it easy on myself, dude, like showing some love to me because it's like, I remember when we first started, I would wake up in cold sweats. <clears throat> My wife would be sound sleep, just peaceful as could be. I wake up in cold sweats with like thinking about census or like how this person was doing or like, oh, he missed curfew by five minutes. I wonder why, you know? And uh, the story behind Ridge was actually like I was working at an IOP in town as a counselor and I lived with this guy. He was my roommate <clears throat> and he uh, would come home fucking miserable every day. And he would look at me and he would say, man, when are you going to do your own thing? And I kept pushing it off and pushing it off. uh, And he died. And then, uh, you know, shortly after he died, I I made the move to start Ridge. uh, And his name was actually Woolridge Oliver. Okay. And we called him Ridge. So it's got a little history behind it. Yeah. What is it about um, the aftercare that, like, attracted you? Because that's... um, it's a brave, <laughs> a brave move, a bold move yeah. in, um, in the field of addiction and in mm-hmm. the field of recovery. And, you know, I guarantee you the level of stress and like the risk that is, you know, comes along with that and the responsibility that you kind of mm-hmm. hit on. Um, and like, you know, something in the recovery just circles in general is like stigma and there's a lot of stigma around aftercare programs for many for justified reasons. Yeah. Um, and like, so that's, it's a pretty bold, bold Bold venture. (laughs) Yeah. Like when you're looking at like, how can I do my own thing? Right. And you know, I think that first and foremost, I have to always remind myself why I do it, you know, because it's very difficult. You know, it is like a recovery industry is what they call it. So like that word industry makes it sound so tainted to me, but it is, you know, like there are some necessary evils to keep doors open so that I can continue to help people. Um, 
Mm -hmm. And what that means to me is that like, I have to stay afloat, you know? Um, because if it were up to me, I'd be like, everything's free, you know, yeah. I'm going to take a salary, but I'm like, come on in and we'll uh, figure that out later. Yeah, yeah. Like no worries, yeah. you know, but I think aftercare for me was, you know, a, like I never got aftercare. So I looked at my life and like in my recovery, I like, I would get five, six, seven years clean. I'd look at all these cats around me and they had like a year clean. I'm like, damn, they're really killing it. You know, I'm like, how are they doing this? You know, they got like, they're budgeting and like holding jobs and like doing all this great stuff with their life. Look at their relationships. And they were learning all this stuff in aftercare. <clears throat> so I took a lot of the stuff that I felt like I missed out on and tried to incorporate it into our program. And also um, <clears throat> for me, like watching and working in all these areas of recovery, it was like, I've worked at or at least witnessed, I'll say witnessed, I don't think I've ever worked at a bad place, but, um, you know, I've witnessed people come in and out of treatment centers, some that I deem to be really ethical and great clinical care, and some I watched people come out of, and it was like, holy shit, you're still alive, you know? Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is like, they usually come out of a treatment center clean, regardless of how bad it is, hopefully, you know, who knows these days. But the recovery really hit the road when they got out, you know? And you go from like having that super firm, structured environment mm -hmm. to right. kind of what you choose. I mean, yeah. Like the path, the path starts there. What right. direction are you going to go? Are you going to continue with um, an aftercare program that does provide enough structure to kind of continue that momentum? Mm -hmm. or are you going to kind of try to wing it on your own and right. How see, see, are see where you? that leads you? Yeah. yeah. And the thing with that is, is like, <clears throat> I watch guys, uh, you know, there's only so much, even like you take a, one of the best world renowned therapists in the world and an average Joe therapist, and there's only so much work they can do in 30 days. Like there is, you know, I don't care how good you are. Like, obviously you're going to get more done than the average Joe, but like you can only accomplish so much in a 30, 60, 90 treatment day stay, especially when you're in a bubble. You know, when you have real life triggers happening again and you're like, I don't know how to deal with social media. This girl's driving me crazy. You know, it's like, all right, well, like, how do we broach real life? You know, if you choose that to be part of your life, how are we going to cross this bridge together? You know, um, so it was important to me because like the program that we designed out in Leicester is um, so structured and kind of supportive that like we've had people um, come there without like a super long treatment episode not because we can take the place of treatment by any means but like you know because if you can only be in treatment for x amount of time like at least go somewhere that's that's all hands on deck you know and i appreciate that you already brought up the like the aftercare uh stigma yeah. you know i almost closed down at one point because there were so many things that I deemed to be unethical and immoral and wrong happening in the aftercare field in Western North Carolina. Yeah. You hear about all the horror stories down in Florida, yeah. Southwest Florida. Yeah. And, and they came up here and like mm -hmm. Florida cleaned up and now we're like yeah. trying to do the same and like kick people out. But it was like, I didn't want my name associated with that. I worked very hard to build like a responsible, ethical um, reputation. And for all these people to like, you know, associate 
so-and-so's place with, and then say Nick Short's place in the same sentence, just like, it hurt my ego. <laughs> you know, it was like, you can't talk, you can't involve me in the same conversation as some of those people. So I almost like out of fear again, like didn't want to do it, you know? So how do you make your place different? Oh, stay you- above board, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's the biggest thing is like, you know, if we're really going to just be open and talk about it, like the P scams, the patient brokering, the insurance fraud, all that bullshit that happens, like you just don't fucking do it, yeah. you know? And like there is a <clears throat> National Alliance of Recovery Residences and the North Carolina chapter is called Rock. It's the Recovery Residences of the Carolinas. Um, and you try and make a difference, man. Like you get in touch with people that have some sort of authority or yeah. like enforcement behind them and you join ethics committees and you kind of get on the front side of it. Yeah. What, when it comes to like these agencies that kind of regulate Mm -hmm. what these aftercare programs are doing, like, I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but how, (laughs) how like there's nothing dude, like like teeth wise. yeah, yeah, Yeah. Um, there's not a lot we can do because like from, at least from a standpoint of rock, um, you can just like pull somebody's certification to rock. Doesn't mean they can't operate. Okay. What's going to happen is rock will be gaining authority and teeth for lack of a better word, because Trump signed, uh, one of the things that he did was sign that all recovery residences have to be, uh, governed by like a governing body. And, you know, the only thing in place as of right now is NAR. So why, fix it if it's not broken you know so that'll probably be if if i had to guess in my humble opinion uh the governing body is like nar broken down into state by state divisions and if you aren't a part of it then you're not going to be able to operate yeah now does the city of Asheville or buncombe county Mm -hmm. play any type of role in that so buncombe county and city of Asheville. uh one of the biggest things that we personally struggled with was like zoning. Um, <clears throat> they're super particular. I'm not like a real, for lack of a better term, thorough person when it comes to like legal documents. Mm-hmm. So like gaining the right of lease and then making sure that your landlord or person you bought the house from did due diligence and made sure that that was zoned properly to be in a commercial lease, first mm-hmm. of all. And then you got to add, like, if you're in city limits and it's a commercial lease, you got to have, like, all these extras, like, sprinklers and uh, extra plumbing. And, you know, the whole house has got to, like, light up and do a 360 if something goes wrong. And How long did that process take? So at our first house, <clears throat> we actually left it because it, was, it wasn't going to happen. The, uh, I think it was they wanted us to replumb the whole house. Yeah. And like, how much does that cost? (laughs) You know, I was like, and we, it was a really affordable program then. And it's like, you know, and I was still working a day job. Like there's no way I'm going to spend $20,000, $30,000 replumbing a house that I don't own, you know? Um, The second house had already been used as a program in the past. So our current like program was much easier because it had already been done before at that location. How many, um, how many guys does the program house? Uh, we can hold nine. Okay. Um, I like it small, you know, like regardless of how many houses you have and stuff like that, like 
NAR has some standards about how much space each person has to have, how many bathrooms, how many kitchens. Like they're pretty in depth, and we follow all that stuff. But I don't know that I ever want to be like a fifty bed program. No. It's just uh, you know the staff I have right now, I really trust. Like I, I think I have wonderful staff, and they're super talented, and not even like the experience realm they're just gifted you know it's not like i trained them so well you know i tried my best but like they were just gifted mm -hmm. so like finding that is super rare and to put enough people in place to hold like the type of accountability i want for like 50 beds would be like impossible yeah. task for me you know so the guys that i got like right now they're doing a great job and um and to hold yourself to that like ethical standard of care you yeah. want to be able to ensure that you can provide that to every yeah. client that yeah and it's like <clears throat> you know i'm a counselor so the thing for me was not like just providing housing like i wanted some clinical components like mm -hmm. i want these guys to get check-ins i want them to get one-on-one -on -one time i want them to get like an aftercare treatment plan when they come in a wrap plan um and that stuff was all really important to me but i can't you know can't find qualified people all the time to do and afford to pay, you know, them for 50 clients or something like that. Let's talk about that a little bit. What's the, um, what does the program look like and so, how, how did this, how did it come to life? Like, how did you, where did the vision come from? Was it based off of like a lot of your own experience? Was it more research based? Like mm -hmm. how did, uh, how did you land where you landed with the, the actual program in itself? I'll be honest. I don't think we've landed. Yeah. That's some of the <laughs> uh, best. Yeah. You know, and a part of it is, is because like, I think the minute you stop tweaking stuff, like you yeah. get comfortable yeah. and uh, <clears throat> a really wise man <laughs> that I love very much. His name is John Clark and he uh, founded this program called the Oak Tree. And he told me when I started a business of my own, he said, what you finish with will not be what you started with. Yeah. So it's kind of been trial and error. <laughs> and it's been like, all right, this is working. This is not. And it's also been like, um, part of it for me was just like the previous programs I had worked in, like what was effective, what did I think was bullshit for lack of yeah. a better term. Cause what I don't want to do is be one of those programs who puts like <clears throat> a million and one things on the website so that I can market for them. Makes you look good. And it yeah. makes me look good. And 70% of them are absolutely worthless, you know? Um, so what we do offer right now is we do a couple activities on the weekends every month. We try and do at least one with Matt Nanis, who I think is coming on your show. Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. He's an awesome guy. Um, with Pivot Point. He owns Pivot Point. We try and go out and go, I think the last one the guys did, they went mountain biking with him for a day and yeah. went to some waterfalls and did some process stuff. Like so valuable. Yeah. I, I want them to be out and about as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as during the week, we do like all the transportation. There's two staff members on every shift except for the sleeping overnight. And then uh, each week they'll get like a one-on-one -on -one formal check-in with one of my staff members. We do parent phone calls every week um, or like family phone calls, I should say, if it's your wife or somebody. Like in a group? No, no. Like if let's say you're my client and like I pull you aside from the group and you and I chat for an hour and we do like a mini counseling type thing. Um, I'm going to call like if so you have a release sign. Yeah, yeah. With a release, yeah. Just like an update. Okay. You know, he's doing mm -hmm. really well or he's struggling with this this week and like I'm trying to break through this with him. Mm -hmm. And then uh, 
<clears throat> which we'll is call, like so valuable yeah. to both the client and the family. Well, the, my favorite part with the family is like trying to do some coaching because mm-hmm. what they really, the hardest part I've noticed is, is like boundary setting for sure. And just getting weak to the, weak to the game, man, you know, like getting manipulated and get pushed around and like how to hold a healthy boundary for a relationship. Um, which is so weird because when I first got clean, I didn't go to like an aftercare program and my family like and I struggled with that because I tried mm-hmm. to push the boundaries when I first got clean, you know, for an l- extended period of time. And like they didn't really know how to hold them that well. And like over time, we've come to this understanding and like have gotten a lot better with it. But uh, yeah, so like trying to be proactive with the families is like a well, huge part. Based off of your personal experience, mm-hmm. you... Um, we're able to learn like where the key elements to this process of change are. Right. And part, a huge part of it was just being a CSAC for a while and Uh, working with families. I was mentored by this guy for a long time. Uh, Tommy Lee was a therapist at four circles for years and I worked with him and he, uh, he just taught me a lot. And then like, you know, you work with other therapists and you're like, damn, that was a really cool thing they just did. And then you just kind of make your own spin on it and your style and, uh, you know, Derek Allen has always done really great work with families and he would come out to the house and hold a group once a week and kind of like in watching him or like asking him questions, you know, and supervision as a CSAC is super important because like I can just ask whatever I want, you know, and, and get the response of like, I don't know how to deal with this family member for this client and be able to get coached through it a little bit um, has all been really important. Yeah, it's like in working in the field for so long prior to. Open. And it wasn't even that long. It was like six or seven years, that's but it, feels, it felt like a long time. Yeah. You know, That's a fair amount of time. Yeah. Man. That's a fair amount of time. But in being able to have that opportunity to kind of watch these guys and yeah. kind of take those skills and tweak them a little bit. Now, did you ever go to school or did you just get all your clinical hours through? I did the experience route. Did you? Man. Yeah. Um, I used the, you know, I had been in school prior to getting clean mm-hmm. and, uh, had a couple psych classes, you know, that I don't vaguely remember, I guess. <laughs> um, so I did the experience route. I When I went to work in this industry for the first time at Four Circles, and I was out in the woods for like a year, you know, <laughs> totally ruined ever sitting in a classroom again. Yeah. You know, just like the experiential process of learning, just I can't stand a textbook, you know. Mm-hmm. So I did uh, the full three years, the 6,000 experience hours, the 300 clinical supervised hours, the 270 CEUs. I, I did the whole nine, jumped through all the hoops, you know? Yeah. That's, that's that, just that in itself Yeah, is difficult task to kind of overcome. Um, how'd you land at Full Circles? It was crazy. I like, you know, I was telling you when I left that job with my dad, I was like, what am I actually qualified to do, you yeah. know? And I had a couple of years clean. I was like, God, I got like a record. I got shitty job history. I only know how to like help people get clean. So I like literally Google searched treatment in North Carolina. And the first one that came up was Four Circles. And I applied. Wow. <laughs> and I met a, uh, <clears throat> I interviewed with this guy who's been a great mentor he actually lives down the street from me now, and he works at a different program called Red Oak now. But uh, Mick Masterson was, like, really influential in my journey, too. He was the first guy to, like, not in a clinical sense, but in a uh, leadership sense, kind of, like, 
teach me what being a boss might look like for me someday, yeah. you know, and like um, how to do that a little bit, you know, and I'm, I still have a lot to learn in that area. I'm sure my employees would probably hear this and be like, oh, let's kill that McMasterson guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I mean, he just showed a lot of like maintaining a positive attitude, being a leader, like how to, you know, not ask people to do what you wouldn't do yourself type yeah, stuff. A true mentor. Yeah, yeah, from, he was cool. From the get-go? Yeah, yeah, he, from my interview, you know, and then uh, he was only there for like half the time I was at Four Circles. Um, but yeah, he made a big impact on me for sure. What's it? Have y'all, were you always interested in the outdoors and no, no <laughs> city so, boy from Charlotte? Crazy story. I, uh, it goes back to like teenager. I went to my first treatment when I was 15. I got, I'm like the old school. I got kidnapped by some dudes and taken to a wilderness program of my own at 15. Okay. Um, and it was actually Seuss who's owned by the same company as Four Circles. So when I was 15, I, I did like two months in the woods and I got one shower and I did the whole nine and I never went backpacking a day after that until I started at Four Circles. That's holding on to some resentment to sue. So. You know, I don't think it was that. Like I, I loved the program once I got over the fact that I wasn't going anywhere. You know, for a while I was like, my parents will come get me, you know. Yeah. But uh, when I realized that like I was stuck there, like I, it was great. But I also, um, I don't know, you know, I just went into this like addiction mode where I was like using real heavy, you know, hanging out in bad neighborhoods and stuff. And I was just like total Charlotte kid, never really ventured too far from there, you know, maybe to Wilmington here and there. But like, um, it was cool to return back to that area where I found solace once mm -hmm. and like be able to go back into the woods. And since then, I, I love it. You know, I don't get to go out as much as I like to, but. I do enjoy it. Yeah, the picture that you sent me, you're holding a nice trout, man. <laughs> oh. That's actually from uh, the first outing we did at Ridge Recovery. I okay. took one of the guys fly fishing. I took our first client ever, actually. I'm not sure if anybody else was even in the house yet. I think it was our weekend activity. We went fly fishing with uh, somebody that Matt works with, I think. Okay. Ross Pritchard. All right. Does some recovery stuff, oh. fly fishing style. I never went to any um, outdoor treatment centers or wilderness therapy, any of that kind of stuff. But when I, like 30 days after getting out of treatment mm -hmm. in central Florida, I was living on top of that mountain up there. Mm -hmm. I had a neighbor, just a kid that I knew from growing up. And he would just take me out in the woods just like for something to do. Yeah. Like we would... Um, Man, we didn't really catch that many fish, but we would, we'd go on Google, Google Earth, yeah, and we just like scour around the mountaintop where we live, and we'd like mm -hmm. identify these little streams and uh, little fishing holes, and then we'd spend like four or five hours like trying to find it, how to get in there, like yeah. we'd, we'd we'd map it out right on the map, kind of plan it all out, screenshot it, get it on our phones, and then we'd like hike in and try to you know, spend the whole day just getting to the spot, you know, I'm talking about unfished <laughs> holes, bro. Right. like just, I mean, hours upon hours to get there. Um, and that, that was just, there was just something about it. It was just uh, so valuable, just the experience, the camaraderie and mm -hmm. being with him and just kind of like the, the whole thing from start to finish from the planning, planning it out to like, just knowing that it's kind of like unmanned territory right. and like, 
plotting the track that we would take through these old um, logging trails mm-hmm. that are, you know, abandoned logging trails. And it re- at that time in my life, because I had, I literally just packed my things and moved, you know, right. like got out of the environment, packed my things and moved. From that point on, it really just like kind of like gave me that taste. And yeah. I grew up in South Florida, man. So I was like, I grew up on the water. I grew right. up fishing. I grew up surfing, um, hanging on the beach, stuff like that. Different environment, you mm-hmm. know. The mountains were new, uh, but it definitely it definitely played a vital role in the sustainability of my recovery, right? And not falling back into like those old old patterns and old behaviors. Just kind of like figuring it out on my own with a friend who's, who wasn't really in recovery, just a good friend Yeah, that was living a, you know, good lifestyle. Right. Kind of staying out of trouble. So it's weird. Like I have this theory about recovery programs and like the wilderness. So like, you know, they, if you ever, I forget what movie it is. It's about the guys, Dr. Bob and Bill W. They wrote the big book and, um, You know, like programs like that and that literature specifically that's helped so many people, it's unbelievable, you know, but like there's a magic to that that like can't really be explained, Mm -hmm. you know, like why did those steps change lives for these people? And like the same thing kind of came true for me when I was working in wilderness therapy. Like, I don't know if I held a good space for people or like, Mm -hmm. you know, they were just ready to change, but it's like some shit happens out there where like you get to watch people grow and change. And it was just like, simply put, it was just like magic, you know, sometimes the trail did a lot more work than I did. And it was just like a really beautiful thing to watch. So I really like, I I like things like that, that are like, um, hard to explain, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that like in my personal experience, you know, kind of coming from this Buddhist mm-hmm. refuge recovery meditation based um, background. And I'm looking back at my own experiences that like to be able to find peace in those unanswered questions that used to drive me fucking crazy Yeah, back in the day that I would just like lose my mind over like yeah. not knowing why. And I always wanting to know and like mm-hmm. searching for all these answers but after training myself, training my mind through these meditation practices to kind of accept those for what they are and find the value in them and appreciate them for what they are. Um, dude, that's, that's freedom, man. Mm-hmm. That's, that's powerful stuff. Um, and then be able to be able to replicate it and apply it in other aspects of my life. Yeah. Um, you know, losing friends who are close to me and mm-hmm. things like that, just to be able to like learn the skill through meditation, you know, appreciate these unanswered questions mm-hmm. and not like, uh, not just spin in circles trying to find out like, why, why is it like that? And right. Just being able to like accept it and then like, appreciate it and and hold that value and just kind of like be okay with it. I don't know. It just played a huge role. Yeah. And I like having conversations with people in recovery like this because it's like over time I've taught that like the not knowing part to be my peace, like Mm -hmm. not having to find peace with it. That is the peace. Like Mm -hmm. when people talk about spirituality or like, what do you, what do you, what is your higher power? Like, what do you think God is? I'm like, I don't know. And I'm totally cool with that. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's there. 
don't know, you know, and like to me, like learning how to find peace or like peace be the fact of not knowing, you know, because um, <clears throat> in the beginning I was the same way. I wanted to figure out like, what is this? Like, why? And give me answers. Like, it's got to be defined, you know, and the more I tried to define things in my life, like the more I, I put them in a box sort of mm -hmm. and like, you know, I wasn't allowing them to be just what they were. Yeah, like we've always, I think just in the history of humans walking this earth, like our minds are kind of designed to like operationalize these tasks, right? Mm -hmm. And like figure out why in order to survive, right? To be able to um, just like hunt, hunt and gather food and protect your family and things like that. So like, it's just, it's natural. And that's kind of how the literature and refuge recovery explains it is that it's like, there's nothing wrong with you, mm -hmm. you know, for the addict, it's just an extreme case right. of the natural human condition. Yeah. Right. So instead of, um, clinging to it and like grasping at like more and trying to like figure these things out to like really find that. And it's all like what you said. I like what you said in that, that is the piece mm -hmm. and all that is, is like, looking at it from a different point of view. Yeah. And by you saying that to like a client who probably has never heard that before, it's like an eye-opening experience, right? Like for them to be like, oh, well, that's the piece? That's it? That, that's what I want? That's the freedom? <laughs> yeah. That's it, I dude. can only hope. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, but they I don't listen you. all the time. <laughs> yeah, do what they want with it. But yeah, that's, that's totally it. That's the piece. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that, man. And I think about it in the terms of like, you know, our primitive brain too, like with hunter-gatherer and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It's like, if you know this berry kills you when you eat it, is it important why? Or do you just not fucking eat it? You know, yeah. like yeah. I, I think about stuff like that sometimes because like I want to define all these things and, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's just uh, they're not meant to be understood sometimes. No, and it's it's it is a, it's a process to learn. And like in early recovery, like for me, like I would hear read the literature and hear listen to these Dharma talks and um, hear it and understand it and like kind of like see it from that point of view. But then when shit hit the fan, you know, it was challenging. It was a challenging process, mm -hmm. a challenging process to learn. And, um, I went through some of my most traumatic, um, emotionally traumatic experiences in early recovery mm. sober. Yeah. You know, after going through treatment and kind of like after getting into school, um, some of my most challenging emotional experiences happen. And just the simple fact of, of knowing this, knowing what we're talking about, not really being able to apply it yet, but just kind of like knowing it and understanding it allowed me to get through it. Right. It was fucking hard. Yeah. But it allowed me to get through it. Yeah. Um, when... I don't know. I'm just, I'm curious about like what you went through doing the wilderness therapy stuff, the tools that you learned and the things that you did. Like, what was that progression like professionally for mm -hmm. you? And, and then like balancing it with your personal recovery. Right. I, it's so, that's a great question. So like professionally, um, It taught me to hold emotional boundaries with clients, and it taught me how to be objective. I think the number one thing it taught me was that um, 
doing the right thing's fucking hard a lot of the time. You know, like you build these this rapport with this person and you know that like the truth is going to break their heart or that they're going to, you know, possibly become violent for all I know. But like, you know, the right thing to do is to tell them. And it was like, you know, um, a huge practice in doing the right thing because like, I'll tell you what, man, like I didn't even want to follow the rules sometimes. Like day, there was an eight day shift where I saw the sun for four hours. It rained the entire eight days. And like, I didn't want to get up and like hike and, you know, I didn't want to hold boundaries and like ask people to clean up after themselves and be accountable and do group in the rain. So stay in your tent, man. Yeah, but like part of the process was like, I have to role model that and like I have to show them that not only not only do we need to do these things for ourselves but like we can enjoy them you know and <clears throat> I think uh it made me emotionally like tougher as a clinician maybe and it gave me a lot of like you know you can do certain things as a guide you can't do as a therapist like you can disclose a little more personal information and, and that's stuff. what I was gonna I was gonna ask you that like how uh, open were you with the with them about your experience at right. Seuss as a teenager I was open with those types of things and the one thing that I'll never do is I never want to give a client anything that they can throw in my face that will actually upset me but that's that in itself is a learning process I'm right, sure, right right so like you know I, I'll tell them stuff that I don't care if they try yeah. <laughs> throw back at me but um you know, I remember there was this story in the back of this book and I would like read it for our night group sometimes and every time, not one time, and I would only pull it out when like they really needed it, you know, because not one time did I make it through without like choking up a little bit. And uh, I would like only save it for like the the fucking like we need, they need this right now. We need to Shit's come together real. as a group. Yeah. Like they're all fucking hating each other. And like, if I can show, if I can role model a small part of vulnerability right now, maybe someone will do the same and we can all show some compassion for one another. Um, <clears throat> but just, you know, we take a lot for granted too, man. Like I remember being out in seven degrees for a week, you know, and just like warmth, a chair, a chair. I never thought that I would be grateful for a chair until I spent a week sitting on the ground, you know? And, uh, it taught me a lot as far as personal recovery. Like it totally took that away from me for a little bit. Yeah. Like I made my recovery, my work pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like stagnated on a lot of like self care. So we've done this. This is the 37th episode mm -hmm. of NC raw and that exact, that statement that you just made mm -hmm. is something that every single professional that's mm -hmm. sat in that chair has said to me Yeah, is that, you know, especially in, in the beginning mm -hmm. um, that they leaned on the job more than making time for their personal recovery or more than the, in the, in the chain of command or prioritizing mm -hmm. of, you know, the, the cycle of life that we get into, <laughs> like um, the job kind of came first. Yeah. Was there a point that, that kind of, when did you, was there something that did it build up to something? When did you kind of like identify that you weren't putting your recovery first? It's so did you? weird. Cause I identified it long before I left. Okay. Um, I identified myself as like a wilderness guy for a long time. Like that's what I was. That's what I did. And I was good at it. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, there came a point where it started to break me a little bit, like not the work, but the shift, I think. And, uh, yeah, man, I had to leave, and when I, I like, 
left that position, I took, uh, I want to say like a month or two away from the substance abuse field. And I think the big thing for me was just the shift because like I spent eight days straight not being able to go home and sleep in my own bed or anything, talking about recovery and helping people and in recovery and recovery this, recovery that. So when I got home, it was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do recovery, you know, just for like today. Um, And it was like super hard for me, but I think that a lot of people who get involved in this profession go through that. Some of us make it out, you know, but you, if you want to be in this profession and in recovery, like uh, my personal opinion is you have to find some type of balance at some point. Yeah. Before it escalates. Yeah. Before it takes you out, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's like one of the hardest things for me was, uh, you know, balance is just not something I do well, period. And to like try and balance something that two things that were so just vitally important to me, like that job was vitally important to me and also, you know, my recovery. Cause without being in recovery, like I would have no job, you know, yeah. like that's just the type of person I am. I just wouldn't be able to hold it down. Yeah. So it was just, uh, it was hard, man. Yeah. Again, like I think that, um, it's not a skill that comes natural, mm-hmm. right? It's not uh, to normalize that experience. It's not something that we're, it's not a skill that we're born with and that we're just like finding that balance, right? It's mm-hmm. Because it's somewhat of a foreign experience, like, right? Just recovery in itself. Right. Thank you, Kendall. Kendall, my favorite front desk attendant <laughs> at the Comfort Inn in Silver, North Carolina. Who, who is our body double and photographer on episodes when it's just me and a guest just popped <laughs> in and took some photos. You're the best, Kendall. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's not something that we can, like, that it's, it's a skill that has to be practiced, mm-hmm. right? It's not something that most folks are naturally good at. Well, especially people in recovery. Yeah. When we tr- struggled with it for so many years, yeah. right? We had to learn it. We had to learn it in our own recovery process, right? Then apply it to our personal life. And then you're taking it out into the into the field and working with clients and still having to like maintain that awareness of like those skills and applying it. Yeah. It's hard, man. Yeah. And I mean, you watch it every time somebody comes into recovery, we all find our, our thing at some point that we like to do or like, you know, our hobby and it just becomes like our life for a little bit. Yeah. You know? In a lot of cases. Yeah. I was definitely like that. And I think just people are like that. People are like that Mm -hmm. with diets. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, I just got on the keto diet and I just lost 30 pounds. (laughs) It's the greatest thing ever. You have to try it, Nick. While they're shaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like, and that's just how we are. Like, we find something that works or we think that works or we feel works for us. And Mm -hmm. we just want to, like, share it with everybody, right? I was like that with meditation mm-hmm. and with refuge recovery because um i experienced so much relief from kind of the cycle that my mind was like racing through prior to ever meditating i was like that in the beginning and i'll tell you like rolling around you know Asheville's a little more of a liberal and accepting town than these uh rural mountains out here and so right. like just rolling around this this little Jackson County out here, 
the B word is just like taboo. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you say, I'm, I'm, a I'm studying Buddhism or practicing mm -hmm. that. It's just like, what are you doing? You know? So <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I had to learn to like, kind of like re, re, rephrase it and like mm -hmm. word it a little bit differently. And so like the, essentially what I found in like two years was like, there wasn't a lot of people around here that were interested in <laughs> coming to meditate with me. Right. You know? Right. Um, but then I found it in this podcast. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like the, what started out as, um, a hobby, what started out as something to like kind of entertain myself and kind of vent a little bit and just like, hang out with some friends has turned into like a um, vital part of my recovery because I get to sit down and talk to guys like you mm -hmm. every week, people who I never probably might not have ever met, mm -hmm. you know, and have an intimate conversation and get to know you get to know what works for you, get to know what um, you're doing in our community and kind of like create these relationships that are lasting right. and sustainable. And then like, you know, we can kind of like move forward and like, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Like yeah. to be able to have that kind of like outlet. And that's why I encourage people to like pursue what they're passionate about. Like mm -hmm. when we talk about like sustaining and finding that purpose and finding that meaning in someone's life to like support their recovery is like, what did you want to do? Um, and what got me here to this podcast was what did you want to do before you found recovery. Mm -hmm. What did, what were your dreams as a child? What were you passionate about? If you were 12 years old and your dad came to you and said, Steve, you can do anything you want. Like realistically, cause mm -hmm. people tell you that shit all the time, but like realistically, <laughs> like if you knew that you could like, right. Don't worry about long-term success. Don't worry, worry about the financial, you know, elements behind it. What would you choose if, if you could do anything in the world, if you could pursue any career, what would it be? Is this now? Or yeah, as a child? yeah, this was now. This was, well, this was last year. Oh, okay. When I started this podcast, that was mm -hmm. the answer. I was like interested in back then in the nineties, it was talk radio, you know? Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I was interested in like the behind the scenes stuff, like right. how the, the thing came to life and how the right. thing came together. Here we are 25, 30 years later, it's now become podcasting. Yeah. But that's what the answer was. So like, you know, when I finish school and get out there, like those, that's what I encourage folks to do. When somebody, when a new person uh, walks into my refuge recovery meeting on a Sunday night and we're having those conversations um, and through like mentorship and sponsoring or whatever, that's, that's, those are the things that I, I I'm talking about. It's like, what was it? Mm -hmm. What was it? Cause we can do that. Yeah we can get there. No, I agree with that. I used to lead a group based upon that actually, that, that premise. Yeah. Like if there was no fear in, in your life, like what would you do with it? You know, if you didn't have to worry about failure, success, all that stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of that. I don't think recovery should not be, <clears throat> and I hear this a lot, you know, especially when I was first getting clean, people saying like, well, I can't do that. I'm in recovery. And I'm like, bullshit, you know, like, the only thing you can't do is use and be a jackass for the most part, you yeah. know, like I, uh, yeah, I really value like the idea of getting clean and doing what you love or finding your passion. Like for me, that's half of it. If I got clean and my life stayed the same, it was like, I'd probably just get high again, mm -hmm. realistically, you know, 
if I was clean and living the same life as like some junkie, you know, I, the only thing missing would be like the crutch of being able to use at that point. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we're doing um, with NC Raw is like we're trying to kind of like what you guys are doing with, with Matt is mm -hmm. like we're trying to like create like kind of social events and like mm -hmm. get togethers where we invite those who watch us regularly, those who listen regularly, where we invite former guests mm -hmm. to like get together and hang out. Yeah. Like every, every time we have an event, it seems like there's somewhat of an agenda. Like we're, mm. it's a class or <laughs> we're teaching something or it's yeah. a conference or it's this or it's that. And it's all like, um, recovery driven, mm -hmm. you know, uh, events. And so we wanted to start doing things that were just like literally just let go, let loose, have fun, enjoy the night. So Saturday we did, um, little MMA, fight or something was yeah. on tv they're just we're looking for a reason yeah to get yeah, together yeah. like i'm not like super into like all the fights but hey there was a fight on saturday night so we did nc raw and caleb's organization res hope we did um fight night awesome you know and we met at the uh bowling alley at the casino which is kind of at harris casino in <laughs> cherokee which is kind of <laughs> ironic like, yeah ironic <laughs> but it's like it's the bowling alley, multi-star entertainment or mm -hmm. something like that. It's it's in like the kind of family friendly section. They have like video games for mm -hmm. kids and stuff like that. So it's like, and we talked about that. Like at the end of the night, as a group, we had 15 people show up. Mm -hmm. At the end of the night, we talked about like, hey, like, is it appropriate for us to be here? Like, how does that kind of a check-in? Like, how mm -hmm. does everybody feel? Like, what did you think about the night? What could we have done differently? And like there was a certain element of like not having those, those barriers in right. life. Like we're in a safe environment. There's 15 of us in long-term recovery together. We all rode together with somebody. We all rode left together with somebody. Like we, we had that structure in our lives to where like I wasn't going up to the bar and ordering a drink. Mm -hmm. I was ordering some chicken wings, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. And like it, we made it, we, we were able to do that, have fun, Bowl a couple games of bowling, shot some pool. I hadn't shot pool since before. Yeah. Before, you know, and we were able to like to do that. And like, but for so many people, if they didn't have that, like the structure, if they didn't have those Nick shorts in their life or those Steve Steens, they wouldn't have even put themselves in that situation. And some might argue that it is a risky situation. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I totally get that. Um, but I don't know, just to, so, like, we're going to try to start doing more of those things. Right. I, obviously, with it being cold in winter on, the, going inside now. on the horizon, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got to get a little creative, yeah. you know, with the things. So there's, like, escape rooms and... Oh, yeah, you, you guys stuff, figured out. There's stuff sure. to do. Um, so, I'm curious as to the other element of Ridge Recovery Homes, elevation, ele evolution... Recovery? What's yeah? So evolution is a new uh, endeavor, and it is. Um, so one thing we learned at Ridge was it's hard to incorporate a ton of clinical stuff um, with your daily life. You know, like I can't ask you to stop what you're doing or miss work um, to come do group or something all the time. But we want to provide some resources for people in the community as well as at Ridge that. Uh, you know, need some extra additional counseling and support. So Evolution is getting started up, actually, hopefully be fully uh, taken on people this week. And it is an outpatient program for um, anybody, really. Okay. 
it's at the moment it's abstinence based. We'll probably do some counseling for, we'll do counseling for MAT folks, but we won't be like prescribing or anything. Um, but yeah, just like anybody who is pursuing a recovery lifestyle that needs additional clinical services, really. Yeah. Um, we want to do it a little differently than most places. And, you know, I've, I've worked at a lot of places where the idea of IOP or outpatient is like, we're going to sit here for three or four hours and we're going to talk, mm-hmm. you know. So I want to do some more experiential stuff and try and incorporate the outdoors and, you know, hopefully Matt <laughs> at Pivot Point. I'm plugging him hard tonight. Yeah. Um, I, wonder, <clears throat> I wonder why. <laughs> uh, plugging him and like in and so that we can get outside and do some things, you know. And like the, the outdoors has got such a that healing that we were talking about that like for me it, it works even like if we were going to talk for three hours, like let's go outside for at least an hour, you know, yeah, just change the scenery. Sit like, by the fire or something. Yeah, yeah. like just change your physical like positioning you know Mm -hmm. and it sometimes it changes the whole attitude and perception of a situation so uh we do want to be a lot more experiential and involved um regardless of like what your uh what your office looks like you know Mm -hmm. you can dress it up you can paint it whatever color you want and put some nice fancy photos on the wall (laughs) whatever you want to do put some nice books on the desk like they know where they're at right you know what i mean it's hard to like just overcome those little tiny barriers Mm -hmm. those small barriers um especially because a lot you know a lot of folks myself being one of them a lot of folks have had um negative experiences Mm. yeah through counseling or attempts like um, I, mean, I remember like two or three years before I pursued treatment, mm-hmm. had a good job, had really good health insurance and I knew shit was getting out of control. Right. Called my health insurance company, set up an appointment and it didn't go well. Like it, mm-hmm. it not like I was legitimately looking for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't, not that he didn't tell me what I wanted to hear, but he didn't, you know, I don't want to talk negatively about anybody, but he didn't see that there was an issue mm. at that, in my life at that time. Right. It was kind of like, mm. he didn't validate your feelings. Mm, you'll get over it. Things are yeah. okay. Kind of. Um, so like just from that happening, I, never went back yeah and i never like addressed the problem yeah he told me he told me everything's cool so everything's cool man right, let's keep right. rolling bro He's a pro. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know what i'm doing man <laughs> i know exactly what i'm doing um so what how is that how is that gonna work with the are you gonna like be working with clients from ridge are you open to the general public we'll be open to the general public okay. Um, clients from Ridge will obviously be able to come. Uh, I usually send, um, you know, we give them options, but the young guys, like there's another program in town, Real Recovery, that does really great work with uh, the younger population, and we really love their IOP, so we utilize them a lot. But we'll be open to the community as well, and I think that kind of with what you're talking about is like that, uh, you know, that like I'm shut down to this now. Like they're hesitant. Like I'm not going into this situation open-minded anymore because I have a preconceived notion about what this is. I think the you know the best thing that I can do when I am counseling because I, I won't see people from Ridge typically, uh, just because it's like a 
I don't want to be like at the house one day and also know like your trauma at the yeah. same time. So, um, to me, it would be like <clears throat> just holding space for that person to like vent and say like, this is bullshit, you know, <laughs> like I don't believe in therapy. And then, you know, just try and build a rapport and see if we can go from there. I mean, you know, it's only as good as you want it to be. Yeah. You know, even with the worst clinicians. Yeah, that's so true. And it's all, I think, a, a, a big part of it. And, I, and it's something that I don't necessarily have the answer to, but it's like, um, when we talk about like taking responsibility for our actions and like, like there's never going to be the perfect treatment center. There's right. Never, like for anybody or everybody, like even myself, there's not a, like, in seeking out help and seeking out treatment, like there's not the perfect place that will give me what I need or want right at that time. So like, I got to be able to like let go of those expectations, take responsibility for my actions and do the fucking work. Yeah. Right. Like that's yeah. in like for so many people, like they're looking for these kind of accommodations. Um, and there's, rules and structure <laughs> and things that like they there's right. always a a, per, a person to blame there's always somebody to um oh i've been that person many yeah times. <laughs> yeah yeah um but when it worked like i literally like walked into the treatment center i didn't care what i didn't care where it was what it was what it looked like any of that stuff but i walked in there prepared mm-hmm. i walked in there um, with my own material. I walked in there with my refuge recovery book. That was, it was new at the time. It was, mm-hmm. had only been out for a couple months, 2014. I walked in there with the book that was brand new. I walked in with a bunch of kind of like Dharma talks and meditations, like downloaded yeah. on my iPod, you know, like things to like, um, things to kind of like occupy my time, but things that would supplement and support my recovery. Right. It didn't matter what was over my head. It didn't matter what room I was in or where I was at. I had this tool that I knew worked because I had started kind of like meditating on my own and listening to some stuff before I walked in there. So I knew that like, I knew that I could do it Mm -hmm. if I applied these skills and these tools to my life. Um, and it's hard. I was talking to a guy over the weekend. He was, um, looking for, a place looking for a treatment center that kind of like fit his needs. Right. And I, you know, and through conversation, I was like, well, you know, like, what are you going to do when you get there? What are you willing to do? Willing to do, right, you right. know, like the, a treatment center that offers blank, blank, blank and blank isn't going to fit unless you're going to do the work. You right. Know? Again, like, I ain't no damn professional, bro. I'm just a dude <laughs> in recovery, man. Uh, definitely just my own my own personal experience. Um, so your life has changed pretty significantly from being in recovery. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, um, man. Before I got clean, I was the last day I used actually. We won't go into detail. The bottom line is it wasn't pretty. And uh, yeah, I got locked up for like a week and detoxed in Mecklenburg County Jail. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was pretty brutal. And, um, you know, since then, like I've built relationships in my life. I've started to repair. Re- well, I've repaired a relationship with my parents and have started uh, making some living amends and stuff there. I have... 
found a career path. I've gotten certified as a counselor. I have started a business. I have met my wife and married my wife. And, uh, you know, we're expecting a child in May. Boom. And bought a house and all the all the things, man. And, like, the the craziest part is, like, when I first got clean, this dude asked me, he was like, write down what you want in a year from now, and I bet you would have sold yourself short. And I was, like, a drug addict, so, you know, I'm like, all right, well, I want a fucking Mercedes and, yeah. you know, like, the hottest wife and, like, this big house and, like, a million-dollar awesome job. job. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't have any of that shit, but he was right. I would have sold myself short for sure mm-hmm. um, because, like, the sense of... And I'll be honest, like, it's not there right now, today. Like, I got some anxiety going on. Work stuff's pretty crazy. My phone's been blowing up in my pocket this whole time. I have no idea what's going on, but... But that... And that's reality. Yeah. It's just, like, the the sense that the shit's going to be okay anyways, mm-hmm. you know, is, like, uh, that's, like, the, the hit. That's the big one right there. You know, it's not about, like, being able to buy a car or a house or any of that bullshit or start a business. It's just, like... I realized that in my use, like I tried all these, I was a concoction guy, you know, like Mm -hmm. I would try a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little more of this, too high, too low. And I realized when I had like a year and a half clean that I was really just searching for this point of like, okay, you know, where my heart didn't feel like it was going to pop out my chest and where I didn't feel like I was going to think too hard, you know, and it was like this equilibrium and I could never hit it, you know. And I didn't realize it till I had like a year and a half clean and I hit it without drugs. That That's I was a, like, that was my next question. That, that was the joint, dude. How long did it take you to find it? And what was that moment like when you did find it's it? It's crazy because I remember the moment. I always thought that like, it, you know, it'd be similar to your story a little bit. Like I would be in this cabin on the top of this mountain or like on a cliff, like deep in meditation and a hawk would fly by and I would like know or something, mm-hmm. you know, I was in a... 1999, 2000, maybe, Honda Civic with a two-tone hood, stuck in traffic on Independence Boulevard, still smoking cigarettes, a Newport, actually, uh, listening to some bad rap station. And I was just sitting this, like, I was late or something, and I just remember being like, this sucks, but it's going to be okay. And, like, that was it, you know? Like, it was no profound moment on this mountaintop or, like, deep at sea or some shit like that. It was just, like... Yo, dude, you're all right, you know? And, like, that's all it took. And it totally came just, like, naturally without yeah. any type of kind of, like, intentional effort or yeah. outside of the work that you'd been doing for to support your own recovery. Yeah. It was really weird because, like, especially when we talk about spirituality, like, I always thought to this day I judge my spiritual life sometimes based on other people's and what I've had to teach myself is, like, it's okay that my spiritual life doesn't look like other people's. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I don't, I I do do some seated meditations and it's not that like I don't um, benefit from them, but like it's not really my bag as much as like I like to go out in the woods and just sit for a minute or like go for a hike by myself or like drive at night alone. You know, it's like my life, my connection to with whatever there is looks different from other people's and that's fucking okay. I think it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. It really is the same thing. Um, I really do. And like, I think that when it comes to spirituality that like, it's almost like, who am I to identify Mm-hmm. what that is, even for myself right now, mm-hmm. where it's more like it's my life's task to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. 
You know, like I'm doing the work right now. Like I don't identify as a Buddhist. Mm -hmm. I totally don't. Um, But it's my life. It's my life's task to define my spirituality. It's Mm -hmm. my life's task to like figure that part out. Um, Why? I don't know. That's just kind of like kind of how, how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. Cause it's always changing. Right. Just like my recovery, my process of recovery I think my spirituality is also yeah it's constantly evolving yeah absolutely I mean for me as well I think it's always evolving and I think the place where I'm at now is like my life's purpose is like for me it's it has to do a lot with connection and it's either connection to other humans or like the earth or like you know my breath or like whatever it is it's all about connection right now so like my life's purpose is not really to figure out what spirituality is to me as for me, at least it's more of let's just explore connection for a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause like when I have it, like I know that I'm living in, in the right, you know, I know that I'm doing something that I'm supposed to be doing. And I think that's more of my life's purpose is like do the next right thing and like live in accordance with these belief systems and like, don't drive yourself crazy over it. And like, that all lines up for me when I'm connected to something. You so know? finding out how to live in harmony with yeah your experience. Or yeah, and the ways that I do that or what that looks like changes over time. But like, I don't want to discredit myself by saying that I'm spending my whole life trying to figure it out because mm-hmm. it's like at times I got it figured out a little bit of like how to reach a tip of the iceberg. Yeah. You know, I don't have it completely figured out, but like I know how to access some semblance of like solitude in my life. And like, maybe that's just what I'm supposed to do for today. Mm-hmm. And then figure out tomorrow when it comes. Yeah. If it gets here, <laughs> how do you challenge yourself? How do I challenge myself? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I know a lot of this has been about my professional life, but it's like super challenging. <laughs> I mean, the, the, per, the job. Yeah. And you know, let me say, take that back is I don't know that I, go out of my way on a regular basis to be like, this is going to be an obstacle. Let's put it in your way. But like life is challenging for me. You know, like I have a a really wise friend. He's kind of a mentor to me. And he says, you know, every day I wake up, I'm in uncharted territories. And that's kind of my truth because I've never been this old before. I've never been expecting a child before. I've never been married as long as I have been today. So it's like, how do I challenge myself? It's like I go through the day and try not to make a fuck up of it. You know? Um, I try and be good to my wife and I try and prepare myself to be a father and I try and do right by my clients and I try and pay my bills. And, um, you know, I guess, uh, outside of the day to day, like I have, you know, in the last week or so, like, um, it's been a long process of like quitting smoking and I finally did get myself down to nothing (laughs) and it's been about a week of that and uh you know I've been eating a little healthier and doing some exercise and trying to get involved in um I actually want to I'm going to start taking some Brazilian jiu-jitsu are you yeah dude so I mean like I I find things that I'm interested in that are worth pursuing but I don't necessarily place them in my life because they're a challenge Mm -hmm. if that makes sense you know like did I know that getting married would be a challenge? Absolutely, but my wife is totally worth it, you know? Yeah. So it's like... Being a father. Yeah, totally worth it. Going to be a headache, but like totally worth it. It was one of the first things we talked about when yeah. we put the headphones on. Was... Yeah. 
so it's like you know i don't i don't go out of my way to make my life any harder than it is you know but like i try and take on what's presented to me to the best of my ability so i don't know that i i do that and challenge myself you know what was it about the jujitsu that man where did that where did that come from well um i never thought i was an angry person but I've noticed that through work lately, like with taking on, it's called like transference and countertransference. Yeah. So it's like when I sit with clients, um, I take on a little bit of their shit sometimes. And like that stuff builds up and like throughout the day and like feeling like I have to present as this certain person. And I can't just like explode or be angry or something. Is part of it is like I need to define some sort of physical exertion. And I also am not like, unfortunately, I just don't like the gym, like going to pick up weights. You know, it's not my not my favorite thing to do. So I wanted to find something that had some, like a class or a purpose or like, um, kind of like an art form behind it, you know, to help me get in shape and like lose some, some extra energy, I'll call it, you know, maybe not anger, but just like that pent up stuff that gets stuck in us, you know? So I wanted to, uh, do that. And like, I've always been super intrigued in it. It's actually been a couple of years I've been talking about doing it okay. and I just never did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I find it like super intriguing and also like, you know, one thing I had wanted to do was boxing at one point, but uh, it's much more sustainable to do yeah. jiu-jitsu. You can yeah. only box for take so many head blows, you know, mm-hmm. so um, I did. figured the safest route would be like <laughs> just let somebody put me to sleep a couple times a week and try We're, and learn better from it. We already did enough damage to our brains. The mm. last thing you want to do is put on some gloves and get in the ring. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's something that I've been interested in. I don't know about personally, but just like when we're talking about, um, recovery and programs and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, just like the, um, the level of discipline that comes with like martial arts, Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of physical challenge or that ability Mm -hmm. to, um, kind of burn off, blow off some steam, burn off some energy but also like maintain and learn that, learn that discipline that many folks might, might have never learned before. Like I see that fitting in. I was asking. What's a sense of camaraderie and team? Camaraderie. Yeah. Respect for each other. Teamwork. Um, you know, like respect the man that just choked you out you yeah know, like that it's <laughs> definitely gonna hurt the ego but it keeps you right size you know yeah yeah i could like i i just see value in it and i don't know i don't necessarily know what that looks like but i just see it there's actually a treatment center i want to say in arizona that has started doing um so they start their day out with crossfit okay so because like it gets the endorphins running and it apparently the, the amount of endorphins like can help you to become more open and vulnerable in a group setting and you're working out with the people you're in group with. So it's like when you're pushing yourself to do that last set or like, you know, to run that last 100 meters or whatever, it's like those are the people that you're showing up for already. So it's easier mm-hmm. to show up for them in a group setting. Yeah. And Asheville has like a, is just starting actually to have a little bit of that. For anybody that's listening in the Asheville area, I think Saturday... This Saturday at 10.30, Dana Ryder is hosting a CrossFit for people in recovery that will be absolutely free at the Pisgah CrossFit, 10.30 this Saturday. Um, And it's just guys in recovery for now. Um, They're going to start a women's one soon, but they just want, like, people to come in and be open, honest, vulnerable, and, like, you know, get a good sweat in. Yeah. So uh, that's one thing that he's wanted to do is, like, 
you know, the health and wellness being part of this recovery process is like, just um, utilize that and like create another safe space for people. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I didn't, um, I didn't see the value in it for a long time. Mm -hmm. I've never been one to really need to like watch what I eat. As mm -hmm. You can tell by this <laughs> slender frame, rock solid <laughs> physique here. Um, so I didn't see like the, the, the value in the health and wellness and mm -hmm. exercise piece. And, experiencing what I experienced through meditation. Like I spent the first two years of this just working on my mind, mm -hmm. right? Kind of creating those new neuro pathways and kind of like healing and kind of like learning how my mind works. And I just like put that, that stuff to the side. Mm -hmm. Then I met Caleb, mm -hmm. my brother that ran to Oklahoma. Yeah. And then every time I see him, he's challenging everybody. When are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, what yeah. are you doing? So like, took on a little bit of uh just simple like jogging mm -hmm. trail jogging around here with one of my buddies from school man and it's it's made a huge difference a little bit of yoga like yeah a couple days a week like a little 30 minute deal mm -hmm. just like youtube in my living room kind of stuff but mm -hmm. like huge difference yeah i'm in the same boat like i've been so preoccupied with other life things and like taking care of my brain and just not using it and all these things that like you know, as you could tell, I didn't focus much on the health and wellness either. And like, I've noticed in the the last couple of weeks, like, you know, with the quitting smoking, eating healthier, doing some exercise, like a world of difference. But um, it's like my buddy Jeremy says something to the effect of like, if I'm focusing on the mental, emotional and spiritual parts of my recovery and ignoring the physical, I'm riding a bike with one flat tire. Yeah. I'm just going in circles, yeah. you know. I totally get it. What's the the quitting smoking process been like terrible yeah. <laughs> you know i have like a really hard time i've been trying for six years to quit and uh i uh worked with one of my buddies mark who's a nicotine cessation specialist or something he's got some credential for it okay <laughs> and he gave me this assignment so for two weeks i was allowed to smoke but i could not smoke or use any form of nicotine in the car so I did that and then uh, for two weeks, and then I was scared to get the next assignment. So I continued to do that for like another three weeks. Before you called him back? <laughs> Before I called him back. I was terrified. <laughs> what What was that like though? Just the two weeks, no on the car? It was hard the first couple days. Were and you? then like I kind of rewrote the story around it and it became a little bit easier. Um, by the end of like the five weeks that I did it for <laughs> out of the two. Five weeks. Yeah. Uh, it was really easy. It was just like part of my life that I didn't do it in the car. So you didn't find yourself like pulling over excessively? Sometimes. Or? Okay. You know, like on a long road trip or something, mm -hmm. I, like, you know, I would stop at a gas station or like a rest area. Mm -hmm. I'd smoke a cigarette or something, but uh, it just became part of it, you know. And then the next assignment was carrots and apples bag up carrots and apples cut into like slices and uh anytime i felt like no the next assignment was boredom cigarettes so i could still smoke this is the necessary cigarettes <laughs> he called them the necessary ones and that meant that when i woke up i could have them when i had a cup of coffee when i ate any of that stuff i could do but there was a couple throughout the day that were literally just because you didn't have anything better to do or like somebody else around you was smoking. So and you, I, you had I to cut, cut out the out. boredom cigarettes. And then after that, it was the apples and carrots where you bag them up. And anytime you feel like smoking, um, like a boredom one or something, you go outside as if you were going to smoke a cigarette and you just go for a two-minute walk and eat a couple slices of apple. 
And then when it got down, this is the worst part, <laughs> when it got down to like four or less a day, which it happened really quick um, after like the car part, you know, uh, when it got down to less than four a day, I got down to two a day and he said, all right, it's time to stop. And I did. And uh, it's actually been the easiest time so far of quitting. I've tried cold turkey a couple times and I just went insane. And I've tried, you know, vape, dip, taper, patch, gum, whatever, and I always end up smoking again. So uh, this has been really effective. He's been really helpful and uh, available for me, you know, just to be able to, like, network with and call, yeah. you know, and be like, hey, I feel like feel like a cigarette. And he'll be like, oh, that sucks, dude, you know? It also seems like a, a huge resource for, like, clients mm -hmm. in Ridge Recovery. Do, you, do they smoke? Clients smoke? Like, often all yeah, the time all the time yes. everywhere there's no <laughs> rules around no they have it's outside yeah, yeah. i mean i you know i'm not here to say that you can't smoke early in recovery like you know we've been there man i know it's like if somebody had told me i had to quit in my first 30 days of recovery i'd been gone anyway so walked it's like, out. you yeah. know um it's it's on their own process and their own time you know i'm i'm there to encourage and support if people want to do that granted i'm like a weekend you know but i can i can link them up with resources mm -hmm. to help with that process but um you know oftentimes like they sometimes they don't have a hard time with it because like they're coming out of treatment and they might smoke for like a week and they're just like you know what i don't want to get back on this train like i'm done and sometimes they come out and they're like i have no interest in stopping anytime soon you know I just saw, and I don't know if I have it saved on my computer, but I just saw some studies that came out a few weeks ago that were talking about the like five times more successful yeah. rate of Did smoking you see all if that you stuff? quit when you quit using drugs. Yeah, you see all that? It's an old study, Is um, it? I think, because it's like four to five times more success rate if you quit smoking when you quit drugs Gotcha. at the same time. Yeah, somebody was just posting a bunch of information about that last week, and I do not recall where it was. Hmm. Um, definitely something I struggle with, dude, big time. Yeah. Um, I'd quit for a year. Yeah. I, I'd go long distance. A year, yeah. year and a half, pick back up. Mm. Year, year and a half, pick back up. Most recently, I had like two years. Mm. And um, I would It stings a little bit. Yeah. Always, I'd always like vape a little bit. Yeah. That's um, where it gets you, that little bit. A little bit kind of sneak in a, a chew, mm -hmm. throw a chew in if I was like, at, I don't know, outside, yeah, hiking. Yeah. I like, always had a reason, you know. Yeah, that um, Western North Carolina yeah, chew. Dude, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> um, we started this podcast last February. Mm -hmm. Me and Courtney, the girl that was producing here, she didn't smoke either. And we would like, before the show started, kind of like me and you were hanging out, mm -hmm. we'd just go outside and start smoking. Like yeah. Me and her. And it was like, okay, we're only going to smoke on Mondays, you know, <laughs> when we're recording the show. Yeah. We're going to keep our pack in our little equipment box over here. Right. Right. We're going to leave it in there. We're not, we're only going to smoke then. Next thing, a couple of weeks go by and it's like, all right, I got my own pack in my yeah. car. Then I'm smoking in my car and I'm smoking at the house. And then yeah, it's yeah. just like, the fuck am I doing, man? Yeah. No, um, I totally get it. And the, like the thing for me, that's a temptation is like, I have some buddies that, uh, we get together and go to the cigar bar once in a while, have a nice cigar. I really enjoyed that. But uh, I just know that if I put like that in my face, you know, like any form of smoke, nicotine, like I'll go back, you know, I just got to, 
It's got to be all or nothing for me. Yeah, I love the way it smells. Mm-hmm. Like I really do. Like no, oh, yeah. Just like like I told you on Saturday, we were at the casino and just like walking past the yeah. little doors where they were. I love the act too. Yeah. It's just like, and the hard part about quitting for me, as opposed to drugs, is like there are consequences, but they're not immediate. Mm-hmm. So like with drugs, it's like or drinking. It's like all right, I could get drunk and get a DWI or get arrested or overdose mm-hmm. tonight. You yeah. know, with smoking, it's like no, you're gonna die. I'm just not gonna tell you when. Well, yeah. You know, to roll the so dice. So it's like much more insidious. You yeah, know? it totally is. Um, yeah, it's t- it's tough, dude. I t- God, just talking about it. Is yeah, sick. yeah. Oh hell. <laughs> Well, I'm proud of you, man. Six weeks, you said? No, no, like oh, six days. To six a week. days. I'm, I'm early, man. Okay. But I've been, I've been, I might have said six weeks because I've been doing that's this how process gotcha, that's right, for that's like right. six or seven weeks okay. with my buddy Mark. Finally comes to an end. We'll see. You know, I'm, I'm really hoping for the best and and practicing some some principles around it right now. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, well, now it's not just for yourself. Yeah, yeah, right. and that's part of it too. Is my wife. A has had no part in this in our entire relationships has always hated it uh-huh. we met when we were both smoking she i quit for like two weeks and she quit because she felt like a jerk because i was smoking and stayed quit and i went back to smoking in a week <laughs> and i didn't quit because of her you catch a lot of slack from that oh for the last three or four years yeah, yeah. and now like with a baby on the way you know it's like you know you can't smoke around pregnant women and babies mm-hmm. and you gotta live long to raise them. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, when she do baby do May twenty second okay. two thousand nineteen. Yeah. What um I, I'd like to know a little bit about like that process of the relationship and kind of what that was like for you because you did shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ending with some heavy hitters here. Um, with my wife. Yeah. Okay. And just like dating and recovery. I mean, something that's like talked about a lot, you know? Yeah. Dating and recovery is a pain in the ass in the beginning, I think. You know, it's like super hard because when I got clean, it was like, you know, I don't know. I didn't know how to talk to people, let alone like an attractive person that I was interested in without being inebriated. Mm -hmm. Uh, With my wife, you know, luckily I met her when I had, I want to say three years clean. So I had a little experience with, you know, like women and for me and like the, the dating process. Um, oddly enough, um, I met her at work. I had a rule that I wouldn't date people I worked with. I put in my two weeks notice and met my wife the next day. Okay. So, uh, I did not ask her out immediately. You had not even asked her out. No, I put in my two weeks notice and then we met the next day. Okay. Okay. So I waited my two weeks. Um, I had given her my phone to take a picture on the way out to the field for like a backpacking trip. It was at the wilderness therapy thing. And she took a picture of the mountains and she didn't have her phone. She sent it to her phone and I had the number. Digits, baby. (laughs) I got the digits. And, uh, I actually, we have that very same picture framed in our house now. Um, but yeah, it was like, uh, if I'm telling the honest story, like, I ran away like we started kind of dating for a little bit and I got really scared. I knew that uh, I knew I had met my match like from immediately. I can actually tell you where it happened. It was with my friend Scott Tibbs the first night we hung out outside of work and we were at 51 Grill. You remember that place in Nashville? I never get out there that much. All right. Well, we were eating there 
and I think she had a tuna melt. And my friend was grilling her because he knew I was interested in her. And he was like, so what brings you here? And she said, I, you know, beat around the bush for a little while. And she eventually said, I think my higher power wants me to be here for something. And I fucking, I broke. I was like, this one's fucked me up, you know? <laughs> um, so what did any good self-respecting pansy do but run away? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was not prepared to lose my single life. So I went back to that for a couple months and never could let go of the thought of that, you know, the the relationship with her. And uh, I'm like an all or nothing guy. Like I'm extremely black or white thinker. So like the first thing I did was like come back and like ask for forgiveness and then take her to meet my family and my best friend's family and all my friends back in Charlotte. And like, you know, we we just hit the ground run and we ended up moving in and stuff eventually and uh at one point in time we took like a little hiatus from each other for a couple months which in hindsight was like a really beneficial thing for us I hate talking about it but um yeah we were just like not clicking you know and like we had done some work in our relationship for sure um and the one thing that that taught me was that like a shitty day with her is usually better than a good day by myself uh, and that I should be grateful and that you can work through, you can work through just about anything, you know? Yeah. And I, uh, let's see, we went to Florida. I asked for a day off and uh, we drove down to Florida to visit some of our friends. We were supposed to go to Clearwater Beach it's my hood, man. That's my hood. I was gonna propose at sundown. Were you really? Clap. Uh huh. And she threw up every excuse in the book, dude. It was like to not go to the beach. Yeah, it was like, well, it's supposed to rain over because we were in Ocala. And it's like mm-hmm. a two-hour drive. She's like, it's supposed to rain. I don't want to drive. So I end up taking her to Alexander Springs or something. Yeah, I've heard of it. And it was so terrible. She like laid down to take a nap on the beach, and I was like, come with me. And she was like, no. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, come with me. And she was like, no. And I'm I'm taking a nap. And I finally, I was like, can you please come with me? And she was like, tell me what it is, and I'll decide if I want to come. So, it got, so I finally convinced her to come up. And there's like this spring, and it's beautiful, but there's like turkey buzzards all around, you know, like in the central Florida. It's like terrible, not what I had pictured. And at this point, I'm committed. I'm like, You're in. I'm in, I'm dude, it's going after down. After dragging her up from the naps. Oh, yeah. dude, after yeah. dragging her, like, <laughs> after taking off days for work for mm-hmm. it and her bailing for Clearwater, I had the ring shipped to their house where we were staying. Like, there was no turning back. Mm-hmm. So I proposed and she looked at me and said, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, and it was just like a really surreal moment. But I uh, said, yeah, we got a, a beautiful winter wedding in December 9th of last year out in Leicester. Um North Carolina and Sandy Mush. But it's been a, a great process. I mean, to answer your question a little bit more about what a, a relationship is like, it's uh, what day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> some days it's excellent. Some days it's more work than others. And like, that's kind of what life is. Um, I'm a firm believer that my wife, Amber, was put in my life to show me my character defects. <laughs> you know, she's a good mirror for what I do wrong as I, I'm a mirror for her, what she does wrong. And I think those are the most difficult relationships to be in because they make you better. You're forced to get better as an individual, you know, let alone as a partner in the relationship. But like, if you're looking in a mirror, all the things that like where you lack at and the things you're good at all day, like 
I, you have to like at some point have a conscious and try and work on the things you could improve on in addition to show up for the other person. So yeah. How do you, how do you guys balance the, um, the recovery, personal recoveries? Like of she's in show? recovery. Uh, oh yeah. She's in recovery. She won't care. <laughs> um, and that we keep it totally separate for yeah. the most part. It's like, I have my network. She has her network. Um, we will rarely talk about like, oh, I want to use or something. You know, if we talk about recovery, it's it's practical application in our life. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, you know, it's like, how do we go about practicing the principles to buy our first home, or like, how are we going to raise our kid? You know, gotcha. in a sober environment and uh, things like that, man. And it's like, what are those conversations like? The parenting ones. You know, there's more. To, more will be revealed. <laughs> uh, you know, we're still like, me, we got plenty of time, and we're still thinking about names and stuff. So let me get a couple of weeks without nicotine before. Yeah, I... <laughs> before we broach some of these, you know, um, we're pretty much on the same page about a lot of things. But I think that uh, the one thing that is recovery shared in our house a little bit is like she will not hesitate to. Excuse me. Um, ask me if I've prayed. Like, if I ask for a suggestion on something, she'll be like, I don't know, ask, ask your higher power. And, like, that's kind of appreciated because mm-hmm. it, like, keeps me and her out of each other's recovery but also, like, points us in the right direction. Yeah. So I'm, like, quick to... When I get the opportunity to fire back at her, I'm like, I don't know if you prayed. <laughs> Any chance you can. Yeah, yeah. I'll but it's, it, you know, it's out of love and it's a good response for a lot of problems in life. Um, but it's exciting, man. And the parenting thing is like, it's going to be a whole new thing. You know, we're just going to both try and show up the best we can. When you're growing up in Charlotte, I moved eight times before I ended up in Charlotte. Oh, okay. I didn't end up in Charlotte till I was 10. When you were rolling around and when you were, (laughs) when you were, when you were like, you know, getting after it in Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. Was being a father ever something that was on your radar? Was it ever something that you kind of saw yourself? Very early. Like early in the process of addiction. When I was like just getting introduced to some things, I was like, you know. In the back of my mind, I was always like, I don't know. Will I be the parent who lets them drink but takes their keys? Or like, will I want them to smoke pot outside of the house or do I want them to be safe here and like you know like thinking of my stance and the more I got into drugs it was like always like fuck it they can smoke at home and like I'd rather them do that than drive and all this shit and like you know in the midst of delusional thinking I'm like trying to plan parenting you know (laughs) but uh no after that none I mean like towards the end of my addiction I I was just waiting for the day I didn't wake up realistically you know yeah um long-term goals man Starting this family, right? Look, I just thought, like, let's just reflect for a minute on, like, what this story, where this has come from, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the kid that did all of those things and went through all of that, um, those thought process that you just kind of, like, described, like, that kid to becoming a mm-hmm. person in long-term recovery, business owner, husband, soon-to-be father, uh, puppy father right (laughs) yeah um what's next man like i don't know like what's next for i guess professional nick and what's what's next for personal nick you know one thing that i have done in both those realms i think in my recovery pretty well thus far is like 
Um, I'm not going to force it. We'll see what happens, you know. I think that professionally, like, there's always room to get better at helping people. There's ways to learn how to help better. And, uh, you know, maybe the businesses do really well. Maybe we expand. Maybe they don't, you know. I don't, I don't know what's to come. Uh, personally, like, you know, staying clean, raising a family and being a good husband and son and making some amends and stuff is priority. And then, you know, if I find a way to support that financially, that'd be cool too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, just life, dude, life on life's terms is coming. That's what's up. Yeah. I love that, man. I love that. A lot of people, I, I don't know. I, I'm like, it's important to have, like, have for me, it's important to like challenge myself to have goals because mm-hmm. I'll get lazy. Yeah. Right. Like if I don't have something to do today, I will. It's so much easier for me to lay in bed and right, listen right, right, to a right. podcast, you know, by setting these goals and challenging myself mm-hmm. when I do have those little moments, like yeah. I, I just cherish them so much. Like yesterday, yesterday was the first Sunday that I haven't worked in like months mm-hmm. right months and i didn't even know that i was working on saturday and my boss was like all right i'll see you next week and i was like what do you mean i'll, I'll be here tomorrow and she was like no you got the day off and i was <laughs> like oh no really yeah and like i just like had such big plans for it yeah yeah and i i just it was just awesome to just like kick up watch football do a little bit of homework on my laptop and come to find out that a major sewage backup and flood in the mm. store that I got out and I wasn't there to have to deal with it. You yeah. know what I mean? So like, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's just important for me to like always have some kind of goals. And when I have these moments of like, um, not a lot going on, mm-hmm. like my mind will kind of begin to seek things to do. And I'll, right. I can't like, I can't do what you just said. Mm-hmm. Like if someone asks me, what are my goals? I like fire off a hundred, <laughs> a list of just like a thousand crazy things that don't even make sense probably. Right. You know what I mean? And so like to, to hear you say that, mm-hmm. um, I admire. Well, thanks man. I admire to hear you say that. And that I kind of like strive towards getting to a point in my life where I could say that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like to be it's easy for me to, I don't know. It's easy for me to like stay busy. Like I often feel like sometimes I, I put myself in this pattern of busyness to mm-hmm. like avoid those moments, to not have to feel that way. Right. Be able to just live life on life's terms. It's easier for me to say it than it is for me to do it. Yeah. And I think the goals are awesome. And I, I mean, I'm just in a weird place after talking about this for a while of like hindsight, you know, where I came from and all those things you just mentioned and stuff. It's like, I've accomplished a lot of my goals, you know, and I want to enjoy them, you know? And like, I think that's kind of my goal for right now is to like, um, learn how to maintain what I have without a lot of anxiety, you know, because sometimes I, I, I have a lot of beautiful things in my life that I don't get to appreciate sometimes. Yeah. Eight years. Yeah. Eight years in long-term recovery. Yeah. Done all that. That's what I'm be proud of, bro. You got it, you got it going on. And you're, 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 you're giving it back to the community, man. Like you are, 
I've heard things about Ridge Recovery. I've mm-hmm. talked to folks who have come through there, you know, like, um, you got it going on. What you're doing out there is, is needed because of the things that we talked about in the beginning of the show and because of the things that, um, the issues that are in that world to have mm-hmm. somebody of your character, to know that somebody of your character is operating um, and doing the things that you're doing, like gives me hope. It inspires me to like know that that's happening in our backyard, man. Well, I appreciate that, man. And thanks for spreading it, you know? Yeah. I'm like, I've been uh, researching some of the, like what you do over here and it's impressive the way you guys started with the Kickstarter and, you know, getting some equipment and moving from Western to here. And it's yeah. awesome. Keep spreading it. I try, bro. I try. I, um, you know, like in planning the podcast and kind of like, I wanted to incorporate, like we talked, I shared earlier, like my dreams, my childhood dreams, mm-hmm. incorporate that. And what I've learned within recovery and also what I've learned in school. I don't want to work in the field. I do not want to be a counselor. <laughs> I do not want to get mm-hmm. a job in the field. Like I want to be of service in like a somewhat innovative way um, and provide a service to our community that will support those in long-term recovery. Like the aftercare stuff that we talked about tonight is what, interests me because um so many of my friends you know like that's where that was the missing link and their sustainability was is the aftercare and the long-term support right the community support the connection that you described and talked about earlier um so i want to be able to do that in like different ways like i was sharing with you about the recording studio and things that like Mm -hmm. long-term goals um i don't trust myself to to have that much insight that you do and be able mm. to like, to, as, as far as professionally, like I, it's hard enough to do, to, to, I don't know about that. Yeah, man. I it's don't a know. Gut I, know. Thing. I just, it's, a, I it's just, like, nah, you can't say that. The, okay. The truth of the matter is that I don't know if I could follow all the rules <laughs> <laughs> for real. dude. Like, That's for real. fair. Exactly. That's more what, fair. Exactly. Kind of like, and you hit on that a little bit mm-hmm. earlier tonight, but like, I, I really don't. So like, I don't know. We're just going to keep podcasting and doing some videos and see what happens. Awesome. You got any closing words, man? Anybody? How can people find you? How can people? Like, uh, internet. Ridge Recovery Homes. Dot com. Okay. And uh, yeah, if you guys are out there and listening, keep tuning in to Steven here. He's doing a great job and um, spread the word to your friends. Get some sponsors. Yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah, boy. But no, I'm good, and I thank you for having me on. Yeah, dude. Nick Short, you are a badass, man. I do uh, admire the work that you're doing and uh, look forward to connecting with you in the future and maybe doing, like, some other events or, like, I'm talking about taking the show on the road, doing some That'd stuff cool. in the community, things like that, and adding different elements, like um, some video series of former guests yeah. and things like that. Like, I want to come to come to former guests and kind of, like, visually show the things that we described yeah come on on out so i'll totally uh, connect with you in the near future thank you guys for listening to nc raw north carolina recovery always
the NC Raw crew would like to thank today's musical contributor, Rival, whose work can be found by visiting his YouTube, SoundCloud, or Facebook page by searching Rival727. All of our content is available by subscribing through our website for free. Visit www.ncraw.life and drop your email address in the little subscription bar and we will email you a weekly newsletter containing anything and everything that's happening with NC Raw. Thank you for tuning in. Good night.